You're listening to Start Here, Finish Here, and Everything in Between. A podcast dedicated to reaching out to students and their families to explain the nuances of transferring credits from LCC to another college or university, and more importantly, demystifying some of the popular beliefs surrounding higher ed. I'm so excited to introduce my guest for today, Dr. Matt Bennett. Matt is the Vice President of Graduate Enrollment and Professional Studies at Northwood University and a personal friend of mine. He has spent two decades in higher education and has a keen understanding of how to grow enrollment. His focus is on Northwood's graduate and adult degree programs. Matt has held senior leadership roles within higher education, which include Executive Vice President and Chief Advancement Officer. He is a relationship builder and is well-known in the business sector as well as higher ed. Welcome to the show, Matt. Patty, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. I'm humbled that you would have me join you in such an awesome venue as we've worked together for many, many years. And any way we can get that message out of the prosperity that can happen with partnerships, I'm all in. So thank you for having me today. Awesome. Thank you so much. I want to dive right in. Northwood University's website homepage Liberty and business for all. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's more than a tagline. It's an attitude. It's a belief. It's, it's a religion, honestly, for Northwood University. We were founded on the principles of entrepreneurship and free enterprise. And we've come through a lot of iterations of that since our founders, our Gary Stauffer and his bride and Arthur Turner founded Northwood back in 1959. It was predicated on free market and entrepreneurship where when given the opportunity, people can and do make a difference. Uh, my point being is, as we've evolved, it really became a time in, in our society where you have to plant your proverbial flag and hold it, hold it high and have great pride in that. Uh, we take a lot of pride in our entrepreneurial and capitalistic spirit, which we adhere to with what we refer to as the Northwood idea, which really aligns with a free market approach, personal responsibility, a Judeo-ethic responsibility. Uh, but moreover, the liberty and business for all mantra is simply that when given the opportunity, people can do remarkable and extraordinary things. That isn't a result of the government providing them things, but that's a result of the innovation, the creativity, and the entrepreneurial spirit of what our graduates uh, do in the communities and businesses they serve. Moreover, when you think of liberty, it's inclusive. It's not black, white, orange, purple, green. Liberty is all that reside in the United States, which is the freest country in the world. And in a time in which liberty may get political, it's really about opportunity. And we really strive to provide those opportunities through an educational mindset and an entrepreneurial education that's unmatched. We take great pride in being America's free enterprise university in which liberty and business is for all. So we're really excited about that. And it really is is our flag that we have planted in the ground and we salute daily. Well, thank you so much. And what are some activities you would say are built around that theme? Because it's still fairly new as far as using that. The tag or the, the, the verbiages, um, but the actions and activities that Northwood has, has partaketh in and facilitated over the last 60 plus years as an institution are every day. Uh, they're infused in the classroom. They're infused in the activities that students participate in, things like DECA, 
things like Business Professionals of America. But moreover, in the communities we serve, we provide things like the Freedom Seminar, in which we bring in thought leaders throughout the world to embark upon free market ideas, thoughts, ideas. Uh, on our website, you mentioned earlier you'd reviewed the Arthur Brooks. We brought him to campus, who folks may know as a free marketeer at Harvard University, and really articulated a quote-unquote thank you message to Northwood for inspiring free market entrepreneurial thinkers who are not seeking government handouts for a job, but are job creators. And one of the things that we're most proud of as a university is we do an annual study of our alumni. And most institutions, when they do these studies, they look at what percentage of their student body has a hand in an entrepreneurial endeavor, their own business. Nationally, it's less than 5%. Sometimes it might get up to 7 to 10 at Northwood University, our most recent numbers show that 33%, over a third of our graduates, have a hand or own their own business. So that's not just talking about being a free enterprise center for education. It's proof in our actions, but moreover, the product that we're so privileged to have in the society is business and job creators of Northwood graduates. Wow, amazing. And I have to say, full disclosure for the audience, I'm actually a Northwood grad, <laughs> both undergrad and graduate. So the concepts that Matt spoke about are not new to me. So and I'm very proud of that education. My son also went there at their main campus for four years. Awesome. And we are excited to have you in the community as an alum, Patty. Thank you for Yay. all that you do. Thank you. Um, there's a lot of talk in higher ed right now about completion rates. And, you know, sadly, in some cases, students are racking up debt and they're not getting a degree. What are some things that you're doing to move students toward graduation? Honestly, I think it's education. There's a lot of assumptions that a, a high school student who might be 17 or 18 makes. And I think higher education professionals, in, in some ways, uh, aren't as astute in who they know are making the real decisions. Right, An 18-year-old not knowing what they want to do in life at 18 is okay. So it's really educating them on what pathways, not only the student, but also their parents, on ways that they can identify educational opportunities that are going to be productive for them. So you look at a lot in industry, you look at a lot in, in the public press today, there is a very negative mantra in which higher education is being criticized based on the debt that's being racked up. What I would argue is you have to look at what types of programs an educational study these students are participating in. And not to take away from the arts or the medical sciences, which are all key pieces, but we find ourselves a little bit insulated from that because the return on investment for our graduates, by the very nature of what they pursue, is significantly high. Bridge Magazine, in coordination with Georgetown University, did a study of return on investment of graduates for every college throughout the state of Michigan, public, private, and community college. Northwood University ranked in the top 5% of return on investment in all areas. And we're not as significantly large as a Michigan State or University of Michigan Ann Arbor, but we're very focused, laser focused on the tools and skills that our graduates take away with them. And when you take into account that 33% of our graduates start their own businesses, we find that the return on investment is significant. So it becomes a forefront conversation of education in terms of opportunities that these students will have, in terms of their return on an investment of a Northwood education. But for those who may want to stay closer to home throughout the state, we've established a number of creative partnerships with the likes of Lansing Community College, Macomb Community College, Alpena Community College, et cetera, et cetera, 
in which to your point, Patty, as you're well aware, we build in two plus two and three plus one degree completion programs. I'm not going to go down the pathway of education speak and talk about articulations and signings. They're completion pathways. So a student eight, that's 18 years old that just graduated from Lansing Catholic Central or East Lansing High School, they can enroll at Lansing Community College, pay Lansing Community College tuition rates for two years or up to three, and then transfer to Northwood University and complete that program of study in one or two, whether they want to stay in Lansing or they want to come up to our beautiful wooded 400 acres in Midland, Michigan, that's their call. But that's up to them to decide what type of an experience they want to pursue. In the end, they save tens of thousands of dollars, but still get the return on investment with a Northwood University education. In addition to that, we work a lot with adult learners and assess what type of professional learning they've participated in, professional training, work life, to really start to mitigate the cost and the time to degrees. So it's a, a three, four-headed monster in terms of how to articulate that, but we really try to put pathways for people where they are, not a one-size-fits-all that is pretty commonplace in higher education. Well, we definitely appreciate that relationship at Lansing Community College, and I know that we have so many students that have taken advantage of being able to transfer the maximum amount of credits to then apply toward their baccalaureate degree. And sometimes I think, just for the listeners, just to... to maybe dive into that just for a moment. A bachelor's degree is roughly 120, 125 credits. Northwood is saying they will take 90. Yes, ma'am. So we need to really, I think, focus sometimes on the financial implications of that for the students and for the students' families. When people start on this journey of their, their child, or if it's them, and they're looking at higher ed, they don't know what they don't know. So we like to promote the things that are in the best interest. Well, and I think in the absence of these partnerships, and, and they really are partnerships toward prosperity, not just for, you know, Northwood getting a student or Lansing Community College getting a student, but the student and their family wins, right? The rising tide really raises all ships. And what I'm getting at is without those type of partnerships, the completion rates of these students without those partnerships is abysmal, right? It's less than 30% of students that enroll in a community college end up completing a four-year bachelor's degree. Right. And statistically, if you look at the business and labor statistics annually, this isn't us just talking and hyping up higher ed. Statistically, an associate's degree holder makes significantly more than a high school grad. A bachelor's degree holder makes significantly more than an associate, master's and so on. Now, you always have those creative types that don't go to school, start their own company, which I would argue is entrepreneurship at its finest, but yet do great things and become job providers. So there's always that entrepreneurial spirit that ties in with all of these options. Well, I think one of the greatest things about Northwood University is its reach into the business sector. Can you talk about that a little bit, even trainings or, or you know, expand upon that a little? Yeah, I, I, whenever I get into these discussions, you know, Northwood is a, a private, not-for-profit uh, business specialty university. All of our programs of study uh, are related to business. And, and for some, that initially might turn them off and suggest this isn't for me because they automatically assume well, I don't want to be in sales or I don't want to do this or I don't want to be an accountant. But it's funny whenever I meet with prospective students of any age or their parents, the question I always ask is what, are, what, what industries are you most intrigued with? Like, what do you want to, where do you want to work? Like if you could articulate what industry or what your, your dream job is, what would it be? And we start talking about interests and you get them down that pathway of, 
man, I'm really interested in radio or broadcast or television, at which point I always bring it back. There is a business to everything. Even when I work with, with students or individuals who are interested in the medical field, I have a dear friend who ran the Sparrow Hospital facility for years. And not to take away from service or any of that, but his comment, I won't put his name out there on the, on the public eye, but we have to treat this like a hotel. It's how do we turn beds? Now, we, de we definitely want them to get the utmost service and care, but there is a business to everything. For individuals who never make it, that are student athletes and, and love sports, they might not make, ever make it pro, but there is always a business in sport. And so one of our, actually you get at it, what is our, our most uh, populated degree? It's event, sport, and promotion management. Second is management, then accounting and finance. So folks have an array of opportunities. My point in sharing all of that and being too long-winded is we get folks exposure to the industries by which they're interested in. So whether it be an internship, an externship, guest speakers, we do a lot of practicums. So individuals that maybe are interested in the automotive sector, Northwood University on our campus in Midland, Michigan, hosts the world's largest outdoor new auto show every first Saturday in October. And it's all run by the students. So these are practical applications that they participate in. We just had an event called our Stafford Dinner from a hospitality standpoint that was all facilitated by students. So it's getting them exposure. And humbly, I call it university is the ultimate laboratory. You can test, you can fail, you're not going to lose your job, but you can get your scars, your battle wounds, right, and, and your opportunities before you go in and contribute in the workforce. Well, in, in hearing about those opportunities, how does that apply to like your adult degree learners, the people who are here in downtown Lansing that are, you know, they're trying to finish that bachelor's degree? What kind of outlets do they have to be involved in the main campus activities to get that same, you know, application? No, it, it becomes a little bit more distance education focused. Uh, what we find with a lot of adult learners is they've got lives. They're looking to complete or finish what they started, which I know is a mantra that uh, you know and love all too well. But they also have different priorities than an 18-year-old coming from a high school, humbly, right? They may have a family, uh, two children, a mortgage, an SUV, you know, all of these commitments with their church and volunteerism. But what we try to do is make sure they have a pathway to complete why ever that degree has been elusive to them. It may be personal edification. It may be to serve as a role model to their child. But we also make sure that we have advisors admissions representatives and people that are physically available to them so that they don't feel as if they're on an island by themselves in the virtual World Wide Web. This way they get access to people. They are definitely invited to any and all campus initiatives and opportunities. As I mentioned earlier, when we do guest speakers and things of that nature, they're open to that. They can visit. But then we've done a great job of like this, trying to stream and provide live access to all of the things on campus. They may never get up to bat with two outs in the bottom of the seventh, but they can watch the game and support Northwood from afar. I joke all the time that we, we've built our bandwagon big enough. So even if you haven't cheered on Northwood in the past, there's always room to jump on, always room. For instance, we have an event, we call it uh, Fireside Chats Lessons in Leadership, right? A view from the helm, where we have a Northwood alum, Chris Clements, who's the chief financial officer for the Miami Dolphins. 
and he is going to impart his wisdom on all the lessons learned through his time as a, a Northwood student in accounting and finance. But then now what he does with the Miami Dolphins, IndyCar races, I believe the Hard Rock Casino and Cafe that fits under that Ross infrastructure, uh, excuse me, Stephen Ross, who owns all of those, and the PGA event. So he's he's living proof of what Northwood University students do and, and can accomplish. But back to your question, we provide that access to students wherever they are in the world. Well, you know, since you said that, wherever they are in the world, it made me think you're more global than what maybe the average person would even think about. Could you talk about some area campuses or? Sure. Yeah, no, we've, we've always, um, you know, capitalism is, uh, extends well beyond North America. And so we have found a, a very unique niche with aspiring and free market supporting countries throughout the world. So we've had uh, what we refer to as international program centers in countries all over the world, including at this juncture, which may be um, dissipating soon, but we have been in China, Malaysia, Sri Lanka. We're looking at programs in Ghana, Ireland, the Middle East, where in, in organizations we're able to provide Northwood University content on site, on ground in those particular areas of the world. In addition, we're able to provide degree completion opportunities for those students who do wish to venture to the United States and complete a program of study at Northwood University. One that we've most recently embarked on is with a partner in India, in which we have Indian students who, on a wing and a prayer, humbly because of that Northwood idea and that free market and entrepreneurial mindset, bring their themselves to Midland. And they're completing programs in our DeVos Graduate School of Management, whether it's a Master of Business Administration or a Master of Science in Organizational Leadership. Those are programs where, you know, despite what you may hear, wherever you watch the news or free markets do well. And it has been proven that democracy is the greatest government entity ever devised by man. That being said, when people have that opportunity to do great things, they typically do when given the opportunity. So uh, that just is a, a spirit that extends beyond the borders of the United States. You know, I really think that this talk would sort of maybe, I guess what I would recommend for students and for parents is to really research schools, really find out what those schools do, what they're about, and how far their reach is. You know, I mean, if you're able to impact a student and broaden their horizons, let's say, sometimes that's even more important than the actual classroom education. Sure. I really appreciate you being here today and kind of, you know, making us understand those nuances of Northwood University. And of course, being a proud grad, I just wanted to have you on. Um, before we sign off, can you share a story of encouragement that either personally to you or someone you helped, no names? And uh, yeah, I, I have every guest do this. So if sure. you can think of something that you could share with us, that would be awesome. It's tough to narrow it down. I, in higher education, you deal with so many so many students that um, you, you deal with, you see go up and down and over and out. But I, I can, I can think of a couple that stand out. And and I had the great privilege of uh, uh, being a Northwood University student back in the nineties. And um, you know there was a a student who got engaged in a a really really difficult car accident. Uh, actually, a member of our our team perished. Um, but that was a tumultuous experience. But what it what it showed me was that there is a, a true sense of community, a true sense of family throughout the Northwood University campus and extended family. And I, I use that term because 
you don't get that feel on a lot of college campuses. And for those in higher ed, those that not, that's a very transformational experience where people know your name, they know your families, they know what your aspirations are, and folks really put a, put a lot of time and energy to help you get there. And, and that's exactly what happened in this instance, whereas in a lot of institutions and their campuses are very transactional, right? I have my schedule, I go to class, I might be number 6021583B with Bennett as my last name, and that's okay too, that's just a different experience. But my point being is, you know, this individual was embraced by the campus community, the entire family was, and I just came across this individual at a, a recent very large conference for the automotive sector, and, and he's doing amazing things. Significant ex- experience, significant success, going to be making significant contributions to his alma mater to, to have uh, opportunities. And, and not to deflect too much, but when you think about that, I, myself, I was a junior in high school, and I was in a, a devastating car accident my junior year, right? I was traveling to a local high school to take extra batting practice, right, prior to a spring trip to Florida. Fell asleep at the wheel, hit a dump truck head on. No way should I have uh, survived the crash. I had faculty reach out. I had faculty and staff come visit me in the hospital, make sure I had everything I needed to succeed. Athletic training staff started rehab from day one. But my point is those are two examples where, um, you know, I'm sorry they started with an accident involved, but it shows the type of galvanization in the spirit of Northwood University that they really embrace, protect, and support their own, want them to do great things, and uh, become the biggest fans of those, those folks that they, uh, as they go on and do amazing things in industry and the communities they live and serve. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks again for being a guest on the show. I hope that we see more of you. It, it was, it, I was humbled and honored to get the call. It's a privilege to, to engage with you, Patty. We've got great history. Northwood has been in Lansing for decades. And whether they knew it or not, I mean, Lansing Community College was one of our first partnership program centers. The Rhonda Anderson show back in the day, and then Julie and others. And uh, as folks are, I think, slowly but surely getting back to some normalcy uh, in the wake of a pandemic, we're excited to get in front of them, show them what their opportunities are, and have them become not only LCC, but Northwood graduates to boot. So it's a privilege. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everyone, this is Patty Spagnolo signing off. And remember to seize the day. You've been listening to Start Here, Finish Here, and Everything in Between at Lansing Community College. Celebrating one year of LCC Connect, visit us online at lccconnect.com and click on the Celebrate tab to find out more. We are LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's downtown and west campuses offer conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. Professional event planners are available for assistance from setup to catering. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces, visit lcc.edu and search conference. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. 
Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. And on Land Stories today, I am joined by Timothy Bowman, a very special guest that has agreed to come on the program, and we are going to have a lovely conversation all about uh, various aspects of local history here, and welcome to our program. Thank you. Timothy has been involved in the Historical Society of Greater Lansing for quite some time, and that's actually how I met Timothy. Uh, Graciously, he agreed to come onto the program, and what I really wanted to do was ask him a bit about some of his work in looking at local history, and in particular, I have an interest in some of the work that Timothy has done in looking at local newspapers, so welcome. Thank you again. And how did your interest in uh, local history of this community start? And maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, and then that'll get into it. Well, I'm much on talking about myself personally, but I've been a South Lansing resident all my life. I have a big family. My mother was the youngest of 10. And I just, just keeping track of all the cousins. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather was a fifth of 10. So he had a whole bunch of cousins and got into writing down all the cousins and writing down birthdays and stuff. And, and then I got into to genealogy in the 90s, mm-hmm. doing a lot of that research way before all the internet came on. Some of the same people were doing uh, local history. Mm-hmm. So I would start going to the programs. Mm-hmm. I really didn't go uh, get really into that a lot until mid-2000s there sure. and sure. started doing research down at the downtown library mm-hmm. where they had uh, microfilm machines, and they still do. Sure. And that actually brings up one of the things I really wanted to get into here, and that is how our community has all these resources in it that maybe some people don't know about when we're endeavoring to do some type of local history project. And genealogy or family histories, I find to be a very useful way for a lot of people to get into local history. And it sounds to me like that was the uh, case with you. So we can imagine being in a Wayback Machine and the Wayback Machine takes us way back to when this type of research was done exactly as Timothy has described through things like microfilm. And for a little bit of an explanatory note, for those of you that don't know what microfilm is, before the days of digital imaging, the way that documents were stored in a similar way was this uh, thing, this system called microfilm. And what it was is exactly as the terminology describes the uh, system would take photos of documents and then it would essentially develop those photos like an old photo was developed at the time and it would turn them into tiny, tiny, tiny little slides that were called microfilm because these slides then would appear on rolls and then you would load the rolls of film into a machine There was essentially a magnifying glass that was situated in the proper way over the film and then there you go. You could look at the screen that projected uh, magnified the documents that have been restored that way. And the University of Michigan actually came up with one of the first microfilm systems in the world. And the reason why they did it is because they were subcontracted by the federal government to record the census that way. 
So in a roundabout way, that gets us to Timothy, where you mentioned the Capital Area District Library. So do they still have those records or that you're looking at a microphone? Do they still have the census information? Uh, yes, they do. Up, It's up on the second floor of the downtown branch of the library, which actually was Lansing Public Library before for anybody who might be older. Sure. It does know that. But they have them in the alcove over there, and then you take them to this machine, mm-hmm. which has actually been digitized now. You don't have to. In the old days, you used to crank them mm-hmm. to turn the film, but now they have it all digitized. It took a while to learn, but I sure. like trial and error type of thing to uh, to do that there and you basically just know what date you're looking for and, mm-hmm. and try to find it or maybe just want to browse old papers you just sure that you remembered when you were a kid mm-hmm. and the newspapers are going to get into uh here in a moment but just as a follow-up thought on looking through that census information so the united states census has been around for a long time it's actually one of the uh relatively speaking few things that the federal government still does now in the year 2023 that the Constitution mandates that it uh, do, because, of course, census comes from the constitutional mandate that the population be counted. So we as Americans know how to proportion the House of Representatives. So going all the way back to the very beginning of the United States, well, not the very, very beginning, but since the Constitution has been around, there have been censuses taken every 10 years. And going all the way back to the very first census, the basic way that the government does this this being counting people, is it records every single individual who lives in the United States. Up until about 1970, that was done by people going door-to-door to to every known address in the entire United States of America and writing all of those hundreds of millions of names down by hand on pieces of paper. And those are the microfilms, therefore, uh, that Timothy refers to that he would have been looking at Um, at the Capital Area District Library, and there are uh, hundreds of libraries around the United States of America, actually, that house these census records in the way that they were compiled back then. Now, around 1970, that changes, and the federal government started relying more on mail. Uh, There were some phone calls, actually, that the government did briefly for a time period. And then now, as we are in the year 2023, Of course, a lot of those, well, all of the census records now are digitized and they originate in that form. And the the counting of the population has changed then. It's not going door to door anymore. But with that said, all of you who have a driver's license in Michigan, whether you realize it or not, you are using a system that was designed actually to search through the census way back when, before the records were digitized. And it's called the Soundex system. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see, Timothy, you're shaking your head. <laughs> you you discovered this, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You always yeah. You find your, like, mine is, like, if a Bowman is B550, it started with. Remember that all the time. Sure. Handle it for stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, my uh, driver's license number uses the same alphanumeric code as everybody's in the state of Michigan does. Because the state of Michigan, for the first four characters of your driver's license, they use the same system that was devised to search through the census in the pre-digital day. The name of that actual system is the Soundex. So I got to ask you a quick question, Timothy, before we move on to the newspapers I wanted to ask you about. Did you discover anything in terms of family stories that really, really stuck out just by looking at uh, census data? Or was it pretty much as expected? And what I really mean by this is did you discover any relatives that lived in this area that you didn't know about before? or ages that you had gotten wrong, or just any of the type of personal information you could find on a census? 
basically when I started with genealogy, like I, said, I should say at the library in Michigan, which is now part of the Michigan History Center, mm-hmm. that's where I did the genealogy, not the cattle. Okay. But uh, basically all I knew was my grandparents and my great-grandparents' names, how people get started. And knowing some of the, weren't too many um, famous people, like everybody, everything, they always look for someone famous connected to it. Sure. But you go back for it, you probably could. You go back far enough. One I found was, uh, well, I actually was talking to someone recently about Civil War ancestor. Mm-hmm. And one of was, his name was Joseph Prescott. And he was with the 6th Michigan Infantry out of Eaton Rapids. And uh, I had a family photo. It was, uh, like I said, this is my great-great-grandfather. And his fingers shot off. And a little bit of stories I heard from my aunt and uncles. Because mm-hmm. that's the story they were told. And then to actually find it in the uh, National Archives that it, his fingers were shot off. And as the picture shown, it, I just thought, by the way it's shown, it's like maybe it could have just been curled his fingers up. Sure. But I thought that was interesting to confirm that family story. Like you always yeah. hear. There's also his uh, mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, who my grandmother was named after, Harriet Sophrona, Sophrona Prescott Saddlemeyer, and then Harriet Sophrona Fox Prescott was her name. Uh, her father was a man named Gary Fox, and he was like the one of the first pioneers of Brookfield Township, which is just west of Eaton Rapids. Sure. There's a Fox Cemetery that was named after him, mm-hmm. basically because he was just the first one in, the, in there and donated some land. And seeing this, actually his picture and his second wife, not the one my ancestor was, in the Eaton County history book. That's yeah. about the only real famous connection I found, but, but like I said, you go back far enough, I got a Mayflower ancestors, but I only went like back about six generations, so one else traced it way back. Sure, and I have a family that are into genealogy as well, and, and we've discovered some pretty remarkable things uh, in looking through our family records too, and, and history really is, whether we look at it or not, it's the story of many, many, many families. And one of the neat things about this type of topic to look into is when you're looking through uh, family records, you, you do encounter the way that people in the past kept track of stuff, including the population. Now, that gets me to keeping track of stuff, gets me to the newspapers. And I know that uh, you have done a bit of work looking through some of the old newspapers of this area in search of things. And Lansing has right now, of course, um, it has a variety of media sources that are around here. The two newspapers in this town that I think have the most readership for sure would be the Lansing State Journal and the Lansing City Pulse. Now, those papers have been around for a while, of course, and the Lansing... uh, I was going to say the City Pulse has only been around since 2001, Sure, I wouldn't really... But (laughs) yeah, younger people might think so that's a long time, but I I really don't. I I don't either. Um, My thought is obviously the the State Journal's been around a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it was 1855. And what was that newspaper called when it was started? Uh, The Lansing State Republican, which back then, if people know history, Republican was actually the progressive party back then, and Democrats were the conservative party, and they switched. Sure. And uh, newspapers. Just as a little bit of explanatory note here, newspapers in this country at one time, not all of them, but many of them were overtly partisan. In fact, they were actually started as an avowed partisan, um, you know, spin maybe to use a term nowadays, uh, on events of the day. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon to have a newspaper in a community at Lansing. It was called the Lansing Republican. And of course, direct reference to the Republican Party. Uh, What were some other newspapers that have come and gone throughout the years in Lansing? Republican was until 1911, 
uh, from 1870 to 1911, there was a Lansing Journal. Mm -hmm. Lansing Journal was more of a conservative paper. They combined in 1911 to become the state journal. The Lansing State Journal name didn't come along until later. They just combined the state Republican and Lansing Journal became the state journal since 1911. And there was some other assorted ones. I couldn't think of the names right now, but there were some German papers in the late 1800s. Oh, sure. You can find at the Library of Michigan in German language because a lot of uh, early Lansing were a lot of German settlers. Sure. Even a church over here, German Methodist, that started out that way. Okay. Yeah, not far off from where we're at. We are in the uh, studios of Lansing Community College, and if we walked out of this building. Just a few blocks, yeah. Yeah, that's right, up to the uh, west over towards Walnut Street. Uh, Right across from Ferris Park for anybody who wanted to know that. Yeah. And what Timothy's referring to is that the neighborhood that uh, surrounds Lansing Community College's uh, downtown campus was at one time a neighborhood that a lot of German immigrants uh, living in it. And I know the Historical Society of Greater Lansing has done, in fact, even historic walking tours, including those that uh, speak to the German heritage of our area. Now, Lansing's been around uh, since the 1840s. It was established in 1847 to be a new town that would be the capital city of Michigan. And of course, it has some, you know, there's some people living here before that. There's been uh, indigenous peoples living this year for quite some time. But the Lansing, as Lansing, you know, sort of as we know it now, really does come from that time period, mid-1800s. So what over the years, uh, and by over the years, I mean the years that this area uh, has had newspapers printed in it, is there one or two stories in particular that you saw covered just more extensively than any others? And newspapers in this area, it could be a local story, it could be a state story, it could be a national story. Is there anything that really strikes you uh, as you've as you've looked through all these papers through the years, or, or are there themes? Maybe if not any one particular or two particular events, themes that strike out that seem to be encountered frequently. Hmm, I, it's kind of hard to be general because there's so many just trying to go through my head. I should say, City Lance actually became a city in 1859, mm-hmm. uh, but. I don't know, it was just something that popped up the other day about a story in 1963 about an elephant that went berserk. In Lansing. In Lansing. That was near the, uh, well, it's still Logan Center, Logan Square now, mm-hmm. Center. They used to have circuses there. And a lot of people have, uh, follow the Historical Society of uh, Greater Lansing Facebook page. The story seemed to come up a lot. Mm-hmm. And I guess it was a story, it was a circus, and it got loose. It was going down the streets. And it got a lot of, lot of news covers at the time, as oh, you yeah. can see. Just trying to think of another one that's like purely local. Well, let me ask you know. a little bit more about that elephant story. So what year was this? I believe it was the summer of 1963, but okay. I, I'm not 100% about yeah, that. Sure. And, and, you know, 1963, summer of 63, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. State nationally, Logan Square, where's that at? That is the corner of Holmes and what used to be Logan Street, but now it's Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Okay. That's why I called it Logan Center, because that was what Logan, and, and that, changed, that changed over in the 90s. And that's when they changed the, the name, name to honor Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Boulevard. And Where? for uh, a listenership that's not all from the Lansing area, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, formerly known as Logan Street, it's also M99, isn't it? Yes. As it runs south from Lansing uh, down to Eaton Rapids. Yep. And so Logan Square is the corner of Holmes and Logan, now Holmes and, and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So South Lansing, and they had a circus there. Yeah, they did. Uh, they used to have them because that was... 
well, basically the South Side at that time. So I, I don't yeah. remember all the details, but they used to have circuses all over the place, and that was one of the places they would have it in the park. Okay. But just myself, yeah. I always remember it when it was at the Lansing Civic Center all the time. Okay. The, the old people remember the old Civic Center. And and of course, an elephant you know, wandering <laughs> the streets of Lansing is not something we encounter every day. No. In the uh, 1800s, there was a, a lovely old colloquial expression in America that said to see the elephant. And if you really wanted to go do something that was extraordinary or you were trying to impress upon somebody the significance of an event, the slain terminology that people oftentimes use was to see the elephant because elephants <laughs> were, you know, something spectacular that folks didn't see every day. So looks like in the 1960s, the people truly did see the elephant there. Um, a few years ago, I was working on a research project that uh, actually I'm still working on. It's taken on a variety of forms through the years. And in this particular part of the project, I um, spent part of a summer in the Library of Michigan going through old newspapers. What I was really worried, or not worried, excuse me, what I was really looking for was how newspapers outside of the Detroit area covered the riots in Detroit in 1967. And what I was really trying to figure out was in the uh, Kerner Commission report, which is the report that the federal government commissioned to look at rioting in the 1960s, it had a very uh, sort of specific cause or several specific causes that it alluded to. And I wanted to see, hey, what were local newspapers at the time saying about the riots in Detroit? And the reason why I bring that up now is oftentimes what we have in a, a situation is when you look through old newspapers, you might start by saying, okay, I am going to try to find out what happened on a certain date. And then as you start looking through all those newspapers in search of that particular date, it takes you here, there, and everywhere. It's sort of the old, the old way of what we get with Wikipedia now, right? So you tell us about the uh, elephant story, which I think is really cool. What are some other ones you've encountered that just pop into the top of your mind that I think are, or that you might think are, are just typical day in Lansing type of stuff from way back when? Not to put you on the spot, but I got one that, that I can step in if you're, uh, you're not thinking one right at the top of my head. Yes, not, like I said, that's only because I would just, it came up again the mm -hmm. other day. So that's the only thing. Sure. I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm. Some other frequent ones that come up a lot, but I can't. <laughs> well, sports are certainly a big deal around yeah. here, aren't they? Yes. And we have, of course, Michigan State University, right? Uh, yeah, thumbs up. Go green, go white. And they are, uh, of course, not far from here. Um, what are some of the big sporting events that you uh, you think the newspapers around here really covered a lot of? Oh, my, my first memories, 1979, Irvin Magic Johnson. And yep. And uh, Special K, Gregory Kelser. Mm -hmm. I still have a very wrinkled copy of 1979 paper that I, I, they had a special edition at the time. Yeah. And uh, I remember going to Allen Street School at the time. We were bust over to the east side there mm -hmm. at that time. Actually, our teachers let us go out there when they had the parade a couple of days later. Oh, yeah. Because there was only like uh, Allen Street Schools, uh, where the former Allen Street School now it's... Uh, uh, privately owned, mm -hmm. but like two blocks up, and we walked and we took us up there. It was I didn't think we'd be able to go, but I remember last going there. I actually made a point when they won again in two thousand to go back to the same spot. Oh, that's really <laughs> cool. That is really really cool. Yeah, I um, I wasn't living in this area in nineteen seventy nine, and I wasn't very old anyway, so I wouldn't have remembered it if I uh, had been. 
But the uh, next one, I certainly um, have pretty good memory of that, too. And uh, that was quite the event, that's for sure. And I um, certainly would be remiss not to mention the newspaper uh, that has taken a few forms through the years in terms of what the finished product actually looked like. But I'm thinking of the student newspaper here at Lansing Community College called The Lookout. And over the years, Atlantic Community College, of course, has compiled those old editions of The Lookout, and uh, we have those in a, um, a couple different locations that you can search through. I was looking through old editions of The Lookout years ago, and I remember uh, encountering a picture that was taken of when the Lansing Community College basketball team won what at the time, and I think it's actually still called this, probably should have looked it up before the show started, but I didn't think I'd be talking about this. But it was the junior college, the, the uh, National Junior College Athletic Association, the NCJAA. And it is the equivalent of the, well, it is the NCAA's community college wing, so to speak. And so um, Lansing Community College has a strong athletic history and, and with very good basketball program through the years. And we won the national championship way back then. And I remember looking at that photo, thinking to myself, this is just a really, really cool archive to have and and the fact that it you know it survives and that's really what i think the value is in these newspapers where else would you find that information find uh, specifically oh, oh the stuff that happened way back when you know for, well, they, for the newspapers where would you oh, go for it well you mentioned the newspapers.com too it's been around since 2016 that's really made things easier mm-hmm. but down at cattle local history down inside the same library that I mentioned, downtown branch. They're only open twice a week now, mm-hmm. but they have a lot of lot of things down there. They have uh, old city directories. So you mm-hmm. can look up someone who lived there, uh, see council proceedings and mm-hmm. see what was going on. One of the things they promote a lot is their um, real estate cards, the Stebbins real estate sure. cards that sure. they have. If you want to try to find a picture of your old house, mm-hmm. that's one thing that they get lots of requests for. I actually volunteered there for a while, for a couple years back. Sure. You can look and ask them for the, give them your address there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do it by email or call them or just show up when they're actually there and try to find old picture of a house. And sometimes it will tell you when it was built mm-hmm. and have a picture and a lot of other description of the house in detail about how it was the feet and maybe it had a basement or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a very popular thing. Sure. And uh, the state archives, which is also in next to the library in Michigan, and like I said, the big Michigan History Center, they have the state archives. They have a lot of records like the uh, Civil War records. No, I shouldn't say Civil War, but some Civil War records, but they will lead you to the National Archives there. Of course, now the State Journal Archives is over there, too. They're a, picture, they're a huge picture collection. Going back to cattle again, they have a thing called Cattle Local History Online, where they have a lot mm-hmm. of pictures you can go to. Uh, also have your house on there, some of them. Some of them, like I said, better to go there. Some are not online. A lot of stuff. You want to do local history or genealogy, everybody assumes everything's online, but it's not. Sure. Still hasn't, still isn't. Yeah, and I mean, I think that kind of to wrap things up here, we're, we're almost out of time. The fact that we have all of these resources available really is a an incredible asset to this community. It makes it possible that we know what happened in the past. And if we didn't have those resources, you know, this community would be a, a uh, I think, a, um, a poor place of knowledge. So for that, we're very grateful. And I am grateful to have you 
as the uh, guest today. So thank you very much for coming in, Timothy. Thank you, too. You betcha. Absolutely. And we uh, will see each other again. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in April to the Black Box Stage, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents Tartuffe, a classic comedy play written by Moliere. This play revolves around Tartuffe, who is a fraud and pious imposter that manages to win the respect of a prominent household, only to follow up with scandalous deeds. Tartuffe will be featured April 12th through the 16th. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash showinfo. Self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. Self-monitoring is power. Visit managerbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association in partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hey, y'all, and welcome to another episode of It's Brittany B Podcast, a show where you and I go on a journey and break down subjects that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany, and if y'all are ready, let's sit back, relax, and let's chat. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about Girl Code. Now, Girl Code is like a set of unwritten commandments of rules or ethics that exist between a girl or a woman and her friends. These rules are usually the make it or break it in the friendships and the laws of girl code. Now with girl code, there are two groups. The first one is the best friend girl code. And the second one is the universal girl code. Best friend girl code is the girl code we devote to our best friends. And these set of rules are sort of like never date your best friend's ex. That is like one of the top three rules. And I never understood why friends would date their friend's ex. I could never do that because for me, my best friend, 
whoever she dates, they automatically turn into, I wouldn't say an ugly switch, but it's like a turn off switch. It's almost like a robotic switch because to me, her man ends up turning into like a brother type. Plus, there is no way you would be able to actually keep that friendship if you were to date your best friend's ex. Do you honestly think your best friend wants to hang around you and your ex being all mushy together? You have to be a special type of crazy for that. The other rule that they have is never share your best friend's secrets. You have to take that to the grave, regardless on whether or not you're friends till death. You have sworn an oath to never talk about your best friend's secret. Even if it seems small and insignificant, keep your damn mouth shut. Because after a while, you'll end up forgetting it anyway until you have one of those drunken nights with your friends and then you reminisce on it. But bottom line is you shut your mouth. Another example is you should always check on your best friends when they're on dates. Always have them send a location. I always have my friends send me locations. You never know. We watch too much true crime in order for us to not feel too protective over our friends. You always have to be sure that you protect your friends as much as possible. When they go on dates, you make sure you know where they're at, who this person's with, and what the dude's number is. The other example I also have is you never, ever, 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 ever let a guy get in between you and your best friend. He could be talking to both of you at the same time. You never let him get in the way. No guy is worth losing a friendship. You could be dating a POS and he totally isolates you from your friends because he doesn't like them. Don't let him get in the way. There is a reason for that infamous quote that all of us ladies have heard, sisters before misters. The example I just proven is why we say this. Now those are the main points of the best friend girl code. But what about the universal girl code? What is it? What does it mean? Well, universal girl code is a girl code of women that just have other women's back. You don't have to be friends or family. You could be complete strangers. One big example of universal girl code is rescuing another woman from some weirdo. Us women usually have the knowledge to know when another woman is uncomfortable. It is almost like a telepathic power we have with each other. This is a rule that should be followed no matter what, if you're a girl or not. We all watch true crime. And to not think of five different possible scenarios that may or may not happen to this girl that's getting hit on by this weirdo, I mean, I know I can't just leave that girl by herself. I wouldn't have a good conscience about it because I know how I would feel. I would hope another woman would do that for me. And actually, I have been saved a time or two when I have been out at the bar some weird guy hits on me and I'm not feeling it and I'm trying to escape and then boom, here comes a beautiful drunken group of angels coming to save me. I have never met them in my life, but they knew I needed help. They knew that they needed to save me and it was truly a beautiful thing. When it comes to universal girl code, another universal girl code rule is don't hate girls you don't know. This is a rule that most of us have a hard time following. We all have felt like we were in competition with each other, with another woman who could be our competition. I mean, let's be real. Isn't that why most of us women hate other women that we don't know? There is nothing more annoying than a girl who hates on another girl for no damn reason. It gets even more annoying when you barely know, let alone meet this girl. Don't be that girl. Didn't you hear the rule prior to this? 
We already have a hard enough time staying away from weirdos and protecting each other. Didn't you hear the rule prior to this? We already have enough of a hard time trying to stay away from weirdos and protecting each other from these weirdos. We do not have time for these meaningless enemies that mean nothing. Now for my last example on universal girl code, I want to be clear that this code goes for both versions of girl code. And this rule is, be honest when a woman and or your best friend asks how they look and don't you dare lie. Don't you dare lie. You better be honest. If a woman's makeup is not blended well, her clothes are not flattering, <gasps> her eyebrows are messed up. This is another rule that takes a little bit more longer for most of us to learn because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But honesty is not always flattering. But it is also very flattering. You had the nerve to tell me that something about myself was off, where I have walked past 50 damn people today, and no one told me that my skirt was tucked into my underwear? You are a superhero if you are able to be honest about how your friend or another random woman looks. Not in a malicious way, but more in a, I'm just trying to help. That woman slash friend may or may not take it well, but at least you were honest. And are there exceptions and limits to girl code? Yeah, I think so. After a while, there's a certain maturity that has to come into play. Like, after a while, if your friend and you were grown and say you and her brother start catching feelings for each other, like, is that okay for you to date her brother? Eh. I mean, maybe it's not such a big deal now since you guys are all adults, but it depends. Talk about it. I don't know. Also, cheating. That one's a slippery slope to approach. And I don't want to go into too much detail because I want to tackle this topic in a different episode. But just know that there are a lot of stipulations there. You can see your best friend's man cheating, but there is a certain strategy to approach that because you can run the risk of losing a friend. There's also a lot more to it, and it takes intricate movements to approach it, but I know I'll get a lot of flack for that. But don't pretend like that's not the truth. But again, for a different day. Real girl code is just about being a good friend. With society already pinning looks and more drama into our lives, it's hard to trust anyone. For girl code allows us to understand that no matter what, there is a sense of comfort knowing that we can stand together no matter what. How bad today's world's trying to pin us against each other. That I can have more confidence that I know if a woman sees me uncomfortable, she's more than likely going to help me or check on me. Comfort in this aspect helps the world. Still keeps us close. Girl code is peace within women. It's something that is understood and does not always have to be explained. Well, you guys, thank you for sitting with me. It's been a pleasure talking with you on another episode of It's Brittany B, the show where you and I go on a journey and break down topics that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany. I want to say thank you to Dedalian for producing today's episode. And don't forget to stay tuned for new episodes. And to stay up to date with the latest episodes, go to lccconnect.org. Get it? Got it? Done. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.